Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are so very excited that you are joining us this week as we are kicking off a brand new series on the book of James. The series is called Walk This Way, and we will be focusing on what it means and exactly how we carry out our Christian faith. Batting leadoff in this series is our family life pastor, the Reverend Jamie Kendrew. Here he is with today's message. Thank you for listening. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a great day to be in Pittsburgh. The Penguins are playing today. We start church off by talking about it being Yinzer Sunday and at, and then we get Aerosmith. And so immediately following the service, we're going to play a little renegade and send you guys out of here ready to go, right? Uh, no, it's good to be a part of a neat community uh, like Christ Church that belongs in the city of Pittsburgh, and God has placed us here for a very specific reason. But, uh, you know, we've got really two sermons that we're going to go into today as we kick off our new series, Walk This Way. My name is Pastor Jamie Kendrew, and it's a blessing to be with you this morning uh, to open the book of James. What an incredible story we have this morning. Um, I'm going to spend most of my time without even getting to the book of James. Because, you see, in order to get to the book of James, we've got to first look at who James is. And when we look at who James is, we see something very fantastic that I think a lot of us, when reading Scripture, uh, can, can miss quickly. So why don't we go ahead and pray, and we're going to dive right into it. And Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray, God, now that you would speak to our hearts and that you would minister to each of us in exactly the way that we need to hear you. We thank you that your word preaches itself. And we thank you, God, for the worms that you have given to us this morning through James. So we love you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I've got this loved one in my life, and I'll just tell you who it is. It's one of my brothers. I have four brothers. Two of them devoutly love the Lord, um, and one of them devoutly loves the world. Um, And I have one of my brothers here this morning. He's nodding his head, right? And, and I got to tell you, every night when I go to bed, one of my prayers is that God will reveal himself uh, to my brother uh, in a way that will shake him from the grips that the world has on him. And I've talked to a lot of you, parents specifically, I talk to a lot, and I know that many of you have young ones or old ones or kids or grandkids or parents yourself that they know about Jesus, but they they don't know him as their Lord and Savior. They've heard stories of him. They've been to church, but they've never had that encounter with the resurrected Lord. Have, don't we have that, people? Don't we? How many of you guys have somebody like that in your life that you've spent many nights weeping over? Because as much as you would love to see them come to know Christ, for some reason, they just don't seem to get it. I think ultimately, in our lifetime, we all will have that person in our life. And as much as we read and study about the life of Jesus, something that we quickly miss is the fact that Jesus had five siblings. Did you know that? It said that Jesus had four brothers and a sister, a sister we never get a name for uh, in the writings, but throughout history and throughout scripture, we're told that uh, Jesus had uh, four brothers. He had a brother by the name of James, a brother by the name of Joseph, also known as Joseph, because we know brothers always get nicknames, right? There was Judas, uh, who was also known as Jude, and Simon. And so those are the brothers that are given names, the four brothers given names, and then it's believed that Jesus had a sister. And you know what's interesting, when we're at the cross, the only person we hear about being there is who? Mary, his mom. 
In fact, earlier in Scripture we read that when Jesus went back to his hometown to preach, he begins to talk about how a prophet is not welcome in his own hometown because, you see, when Jesus went home, his own brothers referred to him as being drunk and to not take him serious. And, and in fact, in the book of John, um, it talks a lot about how, well, not a lot, but there's a mention there that Jesus' own brothers did not believe he was who he said he was. John 7, 5, if you want to write notes. Jesus' own brothers did not believe he was who he said he was. So when we think about Christ on the cross, we think about him covering our sins. We think about him thinking about the atonement and how he's paying the penalty. But something we often miss, especially as parents and grandparents, as our hearts are broken for those loved ones that walked away from the Lord, is that Jesus Christ himself had brothers who did not believe in him. In fact, the Bible tells us that throughout his earthly ministry, his brothers would not come to know him as their Lord and Savior. When he would go to the cross, he would die on the cross knowing his brothers thought he was a sham. But Jesus trusted God. He was God. A little bit of an advantage there, didn't he? But you see, when Jesus lived on this earth and went through his earthly ministry, he too experienced that heartbrokenness that you're going through right now. In fact, it wasn't until later in 1 Corinthians that we learn that James would have a life change. In fact, that, you know, as much as maybe Jesus didn't think he was listening or that we see in Scripture, we do find out that James, one of his brothers, was paying attention to him when he was doing ministry around Galilee. In fact, there's even this moment where James will recite a part of the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So James was paying attention to what Jesus was saying and what Jesus was doing. And I want to promise you this church church, if you are following the footsteps of Christ and that loved one who your heart is broken and longing for to come to know God, they are watching you. You are ministering to them. Remember, God is a God who answers promises. God is a God who promises that for those who love him, he will work together for our good. And when we give in prayer those people's names to God, he will bless them. You see, in 1 Corinthians, we see this account where it says that Jesus then went to James and then the apostles. It's not talking about James, the son of Zebedee, the son of thunder, the brother of John in this moment. It's talking about James, the brother of Jesus. And so it wasn't until the brother of Jesus had an experience with the resurrected Jesus that he came to his senses. And this morning I want to tell you, commit this person's name to prayer. And I promise you this, if you ask for them to have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, one day, and it may not be in your lifetime, I promise you, they will. And what you know as well as I do, when you experience the resurrected Jesus, you fall in love with him. Amen, church? Why don't we take a moment now? I know this isn't something we normally do in services. But Jesus knows this pain. And that name, when I said the words, who is that person you long to see come to know the Lord? I want us to take a moment now, and in the quiet of our hearts, I want you to pray for that person. And then I'll close us in a word of prayer. So take a moment now and lift up that lost soul that needs to encounter the resurrected Jesus. 
We know, God, that you're a God who answers prayers. We know that you work to the good for those who love you, as Brad taught us already today. And we pray, God, that you would help us to have the faith to believe that you are who you say you are, that you are a God who honors your promises. And that as you honor your promises, God, we pray that you would help us to let go of control because sometimes, God, in our fear and in our control, we end up driving a deeper wedge between this loved one and you and including ourselves. So help us to let go and to persevere through this trial. Help us, God, to know that the back of the book that you have given to us in the Bible tells us that this life does not end in death and we win because of you win. And so help us to trust that, God. And help us to consider just for a moment, God, that maybe, just maybe, what you're doing in our lives ultimately is for the betterment of your will and for your kingdom. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to trust you. We commit this person's name, whoever they may be, we commit them to you. And we pray with expectation that you will show up just like you did for Paul, just like you did for James. And may they experience your glory because you are alive, Christ, and we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I should probably start my sermon now, huh? Well, here we are, we find ourselves in the book of James. As we've already discussed, James is the brother of Jesus. We know that he is the the believed author of this book, and it's an incredible story just to get there, because James was at one time a a rabbinical Jewish guy who was studying to be, um, you know, something in the Jewish church, and, and he had an understanding of all the law. He had an understanding of everything that was sacred to the Jewish people. And it wasn't until he experienced Jesus after the resurrection that his life began to change. We see a couple of times where it's mentioned that Jesus appears to him after the resurrection. And then the next time we hear about James is in the book of Acts. In Acts 15, we see this account where there's this new thing happening called the church. And within the churches, they decide that they're going to send out missionaries into the world. And there's a council at Jerusalem that takes place. And I encourage you to go home and read this entire account. And so what happens is, is they begin to send out these missionaries, and they construct two letters, one to the Gentiles and one to the Jewish Christians. And in order to make it easy for the Gentiles to come to know the Lord, they have discussions on what all do they have to adhere to the law. And after lots of dialogue and after lots of discussion, the council was silenced and the host of the event makes a declaration. You'll never guess who the host of the event is. James, the brother of Jesus. In that moment, what we learn is James, who once was oblivious to the fact that his brother was the son of God, is now the leader of the church, the Christian church in Jerusalem. It consisted mainly of Jewish people who were following the way as they knew it. And so now we come to this moment where James is now writing. They're sending out letters to the churches to encourage them because you see, in this moment in history, there's a Roman emperor by the name of Nero. Nero is awful. He's a horrible person. He persecutes Christians. He persecutes the Jews. In fact, I was in Rome a couple of weeks ago and discovered that his own people hated him. 
Uh, the moment he died, they instantly tore down his palace and then recreated the Colosseum in its place because they didn't want to remember the atrocities of Nero. This is a bad dude. He would burn Christians at his dinner parties to create light and ambient. He was very, very cruel. And so what happens is, is he brings his oppression down upon the people in Israel, including Christians and Jews. And what happens when the church is persecuted, as we're learning today, it's happening in China, it's happening all over Asia, that when the church is persecuted, it thrives and it grows. And for the first time in history, the Christian church is being heavily persecuted to the point where there's this great scattering of the churches that takes place. The scholars call it the diaspora or the diaspora, depending how you want to say it. But really, we're going to call it the scattering because what happens is, is there's this oil fire that takes place in the city of Jerusalem. And when Rome tries to stamp it out, it scatters all over the world. Paul ends up sending all of his letters to encourage churches in different places that it happened as a result of this. And now James is writing this letter, particularly to the Jewish Christians who are abroad, to encourage them because they are really going through some hardships under the Roman people, under the Roman Empire, particularly Nero. And so he says these words. He says to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. That's how we know he's speaking specifically to the Jewish people, Jewish Christians. He says this in in, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Did you know that God's goal for us as believers is to not live sheltered life? Did you know that? In fact, we're not the sheltered people of God. We're the scattered people of God. And God is not promising us that this Christian walk is going to be rainbows and unicorns. In fact, as we study the scriptures, we find exactly the opposite to be true. We find that it is a hard road that we're going to be on. It's a good road, and there's going to be joy, but we will suffer. We will suffer. Because where there is good, evil becomes a predator. Evil becomes a a parasite. To it. Evil cannot exist without good. And so when goodness is happening, the enemy gets at work. And so he continues on by saying, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Did you catch that? When he asks, He must believe and not doubt. When you pray to God, do you honestly believe God's going to answer your prayer? Do you honestly expect that the God of the universe is listening to your concern? Well, the answer is he is. And he does answer prayer. He always answers prayer. It's just not always in the way that we want it to, right, church? So when we look at this introduction of this letter, there's four things we can really pick out here that James is is kind of telling us, commanding us to do as believers. The first thing we see is he's asking us to consider. The simple word consider. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Do you think he's saying there, because you have cancer, you should be happy? It's not what he's saying. 
But what he's saying to us in this moment is he's saying God is in control. And I want you to consider for a moment that maybe the persecution that you're undergoing because of Nero, maybe God's trying to teach you something in that. Maybe God is trying to mature you in your faith. He doesn't want to preserve us the way that we are. He wants us to grow into something beautiful. And so when we consider it pure joy, we can find joy in the fact that God has a plan and that God is in control. He goes on to say, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kind because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The second thing that we're told in this passage is that we're to have a mind that understands that God is developing us, that God has a plan for us. And where we need to stop and consider the thing that we're going through in our life, we need to also be reminded that God has a plan and that we are to have an understanding mind that God is a God who tests us in order to increase our faith. Did you hear me? God will test you in order to increase your faith. But here's the flip side of that. Satan will tempt you to destroy it. And there's many times in our growth as Christians, we give the enemy credit for something that's actually God, and sometimes we give God credit to something that's actually the enemy. Because we haven't stopped to consider that maybe we're not victims, we're actually victors. I don't know what circumstance you're going through in your life, but do you go through that circumstance as a victim or as somebody who is victorious? Because if we have Christ in our life, what does the back tell us, church? We know how it ends. It doesn't end in death for us. Even if we have to die because of it, it doesn't end in death. It ends in life. God tests us to increase our faith, and Satan tempts us to destroy us. When we go through trials, we have to remember it's taking the words of Scripture and it's putting them into action in our lives. The book of James is written really in two major themes. James is trying to encourage the church to, through their faith, And through their deeds, worship God. Do we recognize that? Do we know that God has a plan? Do we know that when he works in us and and causes testing in our lives, it's causing us to put our money where our mouth is? It's one thing to know what the Bible says. It's another thing to do it. it. It's one thing to know that we need to be praying for our loved ones. But for those of us who've spent nights on our knees crying, it's a very different place to actually be, isn't it? So God's desiring for us to learn in our minds what the pages of Scripture say, but he desires for us to live that out as well. And the way that we do that is by enduring hardships. And then the third thing that we see here in verse 4, it says this. It says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. You know, when we have trials in our life, whatever it may be, Sometimes we try to take control, don't we? I think the example that James is for us and the fact that sometimes we have loved ones that are walking away from the Lord and and instead of trusting God, knowing that he has a plan, knowing that we've committed it to prayer, sometimes as parents or grandparents or as friends, we become so terrified and we, we become so untrusting in God that we end up driving a larger wedge between our loved one and God than if we would just simply let go and trust God. Do you hear me? God is big enough to defend himself. God is big enough 
to change the hearts of people. And sometimes what he needs from us is to simply trust in him and to let go and to understand that the trial sometimes serves a purpose. And that as believers, we have to let perseverance run its course in us because if we try to take control of everything, we're not going to be receiving the blessing that God has through the trial. Is this making sense, church? Can you trust God with your pain? Can you trust God that just because he doesn't answer tomorrow doesn't mean he doesn't care? It means his timing is perfect. We already talked about knowing uh, that God has a plan. We know that God tests us. We talked about taking a moment and pausing and reflecting on our issue. And now we've got to let go of it and let God be in control of it. When we submit to God's will and we let it out of our hands, God will take those brokennesses And he will do something amazing with them, I promise you. It's going to be so much better than what you thought. I've seen it a bajillion times. The fourth thing that we encounter in this passage of Scripture is that we're being asked to have a heart that believes. And I want you to understand how I'm saying this. Listen to how he says this. James lays this out for us great. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Do you know what your best answer can be sometimes? Is I don't know. Or I don't have an answer. I don't know what you're going through, but maybe the only thing you can say to God right now is I have no idea, God, how this is going to work out. I have no idea how you're going to bring this loved one to know you. I have no idea where our next bills are going to, how they're going to be paid. And you know what? That's the right answer. Because in this moment, James is telling us that that's when we're to cry out to God and we're to say, God, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the understanding. I don't know what I'm going to do. And what he tells us in this moment is when we pray in that way, as believers, we need to expect with great expectation that God is going to answer our prayers and that God is going to give you the wisdom to deal with the issue, that God is going to give you the strength. I'm sure I can speak for all the pastors on staff that we've gone into different meetings with no words to say to people. Some of the hardships and brokennesses that you've experienced, that we've experienced, there aren't words for. And it's amazing how God will show up in moments and he will say something through myself or Pastor Jared or somebody else. And afterwards, we're left thinking, where in the world did that come from? It's almost like God really is who he says he is. I am not a wise person. But sometimes God really does some things. And I want to tell you, church, trust in this word. That when God says he will give you the wisdom, that he will hear your cries and he will hear your prayers, he will, he does, and believe it. And let go of it and trust that his plan is good and consider that God is maybe doing something through this. You know, when we do that, it's amazing because we look at the life of James. James was a guy who was rebellious against his brother. And I got to be honest, my big brother tries to tell me something. I don't want to listen right away either right? That's a little more severe. <laughs> but James finally came around to, get to understanding who Jesus really was. And you know, I pray that we understand who Jesus really is, because you see, when James, in this moment, ends this little portion of scripture, he ends it with a promise from James 1.12. But really what he's doing is he's quoting his big brother from the Sermon on the Mount. And he says these words, and I want you to hear these this morning. He said, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. 
because when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised for those who love him. That's one of the Beatitudes. It comes out of the Sermon on the Mount. James is quoting his big brother. So somewhere along the line, James was paying attention to the way or the things that Jesus was saying or doing. James was listening. And I promise your loved one is listening and watching you too. So how are you living? Are you trusting in the Lord? Are you understanding that there is a blessing promised to you when you live this way? When you persevere under these trials, under these these issues that come up in your life, the word just tells us that God has a crown of life for you, a blessing. But the question is, is, do we believe it? Do we honestly believe that when James says to walk this way, that no matter what the circumstance is that we go through, and I'm going to have the band come up right now, and as we go through these circumstances, do we honestly believe that God is good? Do we honestly believe that God is in control? Because there's a lot of you who are going through a lot of really hard things right now, and I'm not trying to make light of your circumstances or what you're going through. But God wants to teach you something. He's maturing you into who he wants you to be. And I'm asking you this morning to trust him with your thing, to trust him with that person, and to recognize that at the end of the day, when we believe and we continue to pursue him, God will bless us by answering the prayer and by that crown that he promises at the end of this passage. Amen, church? Let's let go and trust that God knows what he's doing and that his plan is good. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that in our lives, you do not desire for us to simply stay where we're at. We thank you that you don't call us to be a sheltered people, but you call us to be a scattered people. You've challenged us to go amongst all nations and to baptize and to proclaim the word of God. And sometimes, Lord, that can be very scary, whether in our workplace, whether in our home, whether with a child or a parent, God. But we pray that you would give us the wisdom, that you would give us the strength to have the words that we don't have, to be able to pray the things that we can't pray. And may we take a moment and consider that maybe you're using these hardships or these things in our lives for the betterment of the story of eternity. And so when those things rise up in our life, God, we pray that you would help us to utter those simple words that we're about to sing, that it is well.